This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. This is the Sports Illustrated Boxing Podcast. It's boxing. A look inside boxing with Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix. Interviews, analysis, and everything going on in boxing. And now a man who I wish was called the Boston Bleeder. All doctors to the ER. It's sort of like getting punched in the face. Chris Chris Mannix. All right, welcome back to another episode of the SI Boxing Podcast. On this episode, we've got Mike Coppinger, senior boxing writer over at The Athletic. A lot going on in boxing this week. You've got Showtime announcing its summer and fall slate. Canelo Alvarez, the hunt for an opponent in September is still on. Plus, Virgil Ortiz, the best prospect in boxing. He is back in the ring on Friday on DAZN. Get into all that more with Mike Coppinger. A little bit later on, Steven Espinoza, president, Showtime Sports. Steven talks to me about the summer and fall schedule, how it got put together. He talks to me about the safety protocols that are going to be in place to try to prevent some of these fights from falling apart. And just how is the relationship between Showtime, Fox, and PBC? How does that all work? I get into all that with Steven Espinoza. Uh, before we get to that, though, one topic I didn't cover with either was the news on Thursday that Mike Tyson, the former heavyweight champion, is going to face Roy Jones in an exhibition match uh, in September. Allegedly in September. Now, this fight was formally announced. It's going to air on pay-per-view and on a streaming service called Triller. Color me skeptical that the fight actually happens. There's a lot of money that needs to go into a pot for Tyson and Roy Jones to face each other. Plus, they've got an undercard that's going to include Jake Paul, the YouTuber, and Nate Robinson, the former NBA guard. I'm just not sure where all this money is coming from. Now, there have been rumors about Tyson versus Roy Jones for a couple of weeks now, maybe more. Uh, and they were looking for partners for all this. I mean, I was told that Mike Tyson looked in Saudi Arabia for some Middle Eastern money to try to make a fight like this happen. That didn't come to fruition. So now we're being told that they're going to fight on September 12th in California in an empty stadium. I don't really understand how all that works. Now, I think there's probably a market for Tyson versus Jones. I mean, it's going to be an eight-round exhibition match. Uh, They're going to be using, I guess, 12-ounce gloves, probably not going to wear headgear. Uh, Kevin Ioli, my colleague over at Yahoo, or former colleague over at Yahoo, he uh, mentioned that Andy Foster, who's the head of the California State Athletic Commission, has said that these guys promised not to you know, go after each other, you know, like they're in their primes. But then I saw Tyson on TV this week saying he's going to be Mike Tyson. He's going to, there's only one speed for Mike Tyson. So I'm not sure how all that's going to work, but more than anything, I'm just not sure how the money works. I mean, Tyson, you know, even though he's committed to giving the money from this fight to charity commands a big dollar. Roy Jones, you know, fought for a long time for money at the back end of his career, you know, getting knocked out by, you know, guys that were, not even his league back when Roy was in his prime, 
in far-flung locations you know, for money. So I imagine he's after some money, and you know that Nate Robinson and Jake Paul aren't doing this for free. So I, I just wonder where all the money is going to become from. Uh, where I'm told, from what I'm told, there is not a network attached to this. It's going to be an independent pay-per-view. Uh, it's obviously I was going to stream on that uh, music streaming service, so I just don't know how it all comes together. But if it does, whatever. doesn't do a heck of a lot for me. Tyson's 54. Roy Jones is 51. Like, neither one of them has anything they're fighting for other than a paycheck at this point. It's not like if one of them wins, they're going to challenge Tyson Fury or Anthony Joshua for the heavyweight championship. I think for Roy Jones, there's pretty inherent, clear inherent danger there. I mean, Tyson is still a beast. I mean, he's still got that power. That doesn't go in heavyweight fighters. I mean, George Foreman was in his, what, mid-40s when he knocked out Michael Moore in a real fight to win a real heavyweight championship. Tyson still has that pop, but if you're Roy Jones and your reflexes at 51 are slow, which they are, I don't know, you're putting yourself in a tough position there uh, if you're Roy to get knocked out pretty badly uh, by Mike Tyson. But there'll be a market for it. I mean... People still, you know, the Tyson still has great name recognition. So doesn't Roy Jones. In fact, the fact there's a market for it, for a fight like this, and for perhaps Oscar De La Hoya coming back at 47, it's more of an indictment on boxing, isn't it? Like, if boxing can't produce enough stars to make something like this so goofy that nobody would consider paying for it, that's on boxing. That's on the fighters. That's on the networks. That's on the promoters. Build up stars. Make new, make new stars. You know, make it so fights like this won't draw a crowd or draw a big pay-per-view number. But it, it's apparently going to happen September 12th on pay-per-view. If you want to watch it, go for it. I think we're going to be talking to Roy Jones in the coming weeks on this show, so I'll get his perspective on that. And maybe we'll talk to Mike Tyson before the fight actually happens. But you knew Tyson was looking for an exhibition bout. This is apparently what he settled on. I would have loved to have seen this fight back in 2003. You know, Back in 2003, Tyson wasn't his prime, but he was still a very active fighter. Roy Jones had just won a piece of the heavyweight championship off John Ruiz. That fight back then would have broken pay-per-view records. This fight now, I don't know. Maybe it does a, a decent number, but it doesn't. it's not of any consequence. And, you know, the most likely outcome is that they both kind of look old and slow and everybody leaves disappointed and it becomes kind of a sideshow in the sport of boxing. But that was announced this week, and I wanted to weigh in on that before we jumped into the podcast. All right, when we come back, my conversation with Mike Coppinger. All right, Mike Coppinger is here, senior boxing writer over at The Athletic, and a uh, lot to get into with Mike. He got, was kind enough to get up early out in Southern California to join the podcast. What's up, Mike? What's going on, Chris? You know, I made sure this time to not wear the eyeglasses. You deemed the Scarface ones, so <laughs> they contacts were, are in. They were kind of Scarface-ish, for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um a lot to get into here, Mike. And, you know, just this week we had Showtime announce its fall slate. Uh, they're going to be going all the way from August 1st into December, uh, their own sort of unofficial fight season. Uh, I guess first, give me your reaction to, to Showtime's announcements and, you know, kind of the, the slate of fights that you saw. Three really good fights, I think, in Jamal Charlo versus Sergey Dredgenchenko. Jermel Charlo versus uh, Jason Rosario in a unification on that same pay-per-view on September 26th. And then, of course, the Gervonta Davis-Leo Santa Cruz fight on October 24th. Although I'm still not sure just how Gervonta is going to make 130 pounds, but um, those are the three best fights. And unfortunately, they're all on pay-per-view. When you look at the rest of the Showtime slate, in my opinion, there's some good competitive matchups, but they're not really what I would call Showtime championship boxing, at least what we've come to know during their glory days a couple of years ago. Yeah, I think I would have liked to have seen probably at least one of those fights wind up on Showtime Boxing, you know, take the the money for the, you know, take roll the dice and try to put that on there to get a good number. Um, I, I do like the idea of a doubleheader, though. That's what's happening in late September with the Charlo Twins. I mean, I don't think I've seen that in a long time, if at all, where you have two major cards on the same day in the same location. That That could be a unique experience, and I'm hoping that, if we can cover the fights at Mohegan Sun where they're going, uh, that you know I'll be able to get down there and cover because I think that could be a different type of experience. Yeah, and that would be a cool concept for us as journalists, right? Maybe you know you can write a story off the off the first card and then go do something and come back and have another event to actually rest in between. That's kind of cool. Um, as a boxing fan, I would like it too. 
But if what if you're a casual boxing fan? Are you really going to take all day to watch all those fights? Then again, if you're a casual boxing fan, maybe you're not watching the Charlos. I, I don't know. I wonder how many pay-per-view buys fights like these can do. Yeah, I mean, look, none of these guys have headlined pay-per-views before, so it's it's going to be interesting in and of that. And if you've got two fights in one day, does that make it more appealing to the casual fan? Because you know the hardcore fan is going to tune in no matter what, but the casual fan, are they going to, to sign up and, and want to be part of a full day of boxing like that? I am fascinated, though, by the Charlo, Jamal charlo Derevinchenko fight. I mean, that's a pretty good fight. Uh, on paper, what, what did you think of the idea of, you know, of, of that fight and of Derevchenko deciding to take that fight and not, you know, take or hold out for an another offer from Canelo Alvarez? That's something you've been reporting on for the better part of the last couple of weeks. I'm not real surprised that Derevchenko is going to Charlo out for a couple of reasons. I mean, I think chiefly he's a he's a small 160 pounder who would probably be better served at 154, given the way fighters in today's boxing really just shrink their bodies down and frankly Canelo Alvarez I think is the best fighter in the sport he has a much better chance against Jamal Charlo um, at least you know I expect that Charlo fight to be very competitive so you know the, the the money was good for Canelo but I think the offer was just you know Charlo better chance better weight and I think it's a better fight yeah it's a it's a good fight I, I would warn Derevchenko that there might be one judge already with like a 117-111 scorecard for Charlo right there. So you got to go in there. You can't be a slow starter, which Charlo, which uh, Dervinchenko has been uh, during the course of his career. You can't get knocked down early like he's done a couple of times uh, during his career. Yeah. I hope to, to climb First round knockdown against both Jacobs and uh, Glofkin. Yeah. Yeah, you can't, uh, you can't do something like that. But it's the first real test for Jamal Charlo at 160 pounds. And look, it's the kind of fight that could springboard him into Canelo contention at some point over the next couple of years. I'm happy about that because up until this point, I mean, what it was a wasted year, 2019, for Jamal Charlo. The fights he took, whether it's Brandon Adams or uh, Dennis Hogan, I mean, these are not needle-moving types of fights. He, needed, he had a good run at 154, beat some good opponents, but he had fought nobody at 160. He was just gifted a belt because the WBC is... An awful, awful organization. Um, so, like he, you know, he had a his he had his belt around his waist, but this is going to be his first chance to really show that he's a real champion. Exactly, this is a chance for Jamal Charlo to legitimize himself as a champion, especially in a division. I don't, I don't expect Canelo to come back to 160. He has a chance to really take over that weight class. Glofkin's 38, and I want to see what Charlo's made of at middleweight. I think this is a, he's a guy who's 30 years old now. I think he should already be a star. He's a good-looking guy. He has all the charisma. He has everything you think you'd want. And if he can dominate or just beat Dragonchenko clearly, this is a guy, you said, him and Canelo Alvarez, that's an actual mega fight in maybe a year or so. They can build it up properly. Yeah, if you look, if you think about it, if he can go out there and either stop or dominate Dervinchenko, he can say, I did something that Daniel Jacobs and Gennady Golovkin couldn't do. I mean, Golovkin and Jacobs both life and death with this guy. I actually scored both fights uh, for Dervinchenko. I mean, in my mind, Dervinchenko is undefeated and should have like you know, be a two-time, you know, IBF champion. I, I think he's he's the real deal. I mean, I, I do wonder, I don't know how you feel about this, I do wonder how much the Golovkin fight might have taken out of him. That was a physical fight, fight of the year for most people in 2019. I, I do wonder if that uh, drained him enough that he might be a, a, a weakened or lesser version of himself going into this fight. Yeah, that, that October fight was just absolutely brutal. It's a great question. I mean... We've seen so many fighters in the past engage in wars like that, and then they're just never the same. They get old overnight, so to speak. And Derby Chingo is 34 years old now, so I think that bear is watching. We saw Adam Kovnatsky, another fighter that's managed by Keith Connolly. He was in a war with Chris Ariola last year. You have to wonder what that took out of him going into the Hellenius fight. So um, I, I don't know, but Derby Chingo, like you, I scored the fight for him over Golovkin. I didn't score the... Jacob's fight, but a lot of people did. It was a split decision. So this would be a legitimate win for Charlo, even if it's not. I'm sorry, Chris. Demetrius Andrade. That's don't make me sad on my own podcast, Mike. That's, just, <laughs> that's poor, poor Demetrius is going to have to fight Liam Williams in a fight that I, I don't even think the Williams or the Andrade family is going to watch at that point. It's just I can't. I can't. I need Demetrius. I don't even know if Demetrius Andrade is is like I, like I think he's really good. But I, I need to see him fight someone friggin' real before he's thirty five years old. Like I need I don't need yeah. these guys waiting forever to 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 fight Demetrius Andrade. That would 
that would drive me pretty crazy at, at this point. Um, you know what I'm curious about is, you know, Showtime announced all these fights. And I'm always curious about the Showtime Fox dynamic when it comes to the PBC. Like, because, I mean, most people heard Bill Wanger, the executive over at Fox, say on my this pod, you know, last year, that effectively Fox gets what they want. Have you... Do you feel like there's any change in that dynamic based on what Showtime put out? Or do you think it's still Fox gets the premium fights and Showtime gets some premium fights? I think that this, the latter is probably true. Um, you know, it's hard to say because we haven't seen how the world looks coming out of the pandemic in the PBC universe. And I guess we'll see soon when the Fox schedule is out. But look, we already, I already know Errol Spence is going to be fighting Danny Garcia in November on Fox pay-per-view. That's the expectation. That's certainly a bigger fight than any fight Showtime rolled out. And like we said earlier, the three big Showtime fights are all on Showtime pay-per-view. Now I ask, does it really matter then if the fight's on pay-per-view? Because at that point, Showtime is not offering it to their subscribers. Mm-hmm. What's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that, look, the Fox fire hose that they used for the Fury-Wilder fight, I'm not sure how effective it was. Like, they went out there and they didn't do the traditional pay-per-view selling, whether it's going through cable operators and doing things that have been done. And there are people in this business that believe that pay-per-view suffered as a result of it. What they decided to do was basically use all their free media, you know, whether it was the Super Bowl ad or, you know, a constant run of ads that were on ESPN for the Fury side and, you know, Fox during football games. And these were primetime placements. And that fight, I mean, it's still underachieved when it came to expectations uh, for the pay-per-view buys. Showtime has a lot of experience doing pay-per-views. They know what they're doing when it comes to, you know, dealing with these cable operators and, and finding the right uh, ways to 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 sell it to to reach those boxing fans that are out there. So I think if you're going to do it on pay-per-view, I don't think there's much downside to to going with Showtime because they have just as much experience with as Fox in doing this stuff. Sure, surely you're right on that. I just wonder what that means for Showtime's offerings. It's yeah. like, all right, you have to subscribe to Showtime. You're not getting those fights on Showtime. The fights you're getting on Showtime, I look at it, the best fight is Nordine Ubali versus Nonito Donaire, an 118-pound title fight in December. Other than that, there's a lot of fights that you would maybe see on FS1. I mean, Erickson Lubin versus Terrell Gache. You know, these aren't needle-moving fights, so to speak. So I am excited to see what the Fox schedule is going to look like, but there's a lot of names, and you can see who's going to be there, right? Keith Thurman, probably in a tune-up. Sean Porter, probably in a tune-up. And then you, you're going to have the Errol Spence-Danny Garcia fight on pay-per-view. We know that Wilder Fury is going to be a Fox ESPN pay-per-view in December, unless something changes there. And so I'm not sure what's really changing with that Fox-Showtime dynamic. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you there. Um, when it comes to Showtime needing to put you know top-level fights on the network so that subscribers who are subscribing for boxing reasons – uh, get their money's worth. I think Fox, even though they're not subscriber based, has the same damn issue with, you know, everything same good. Issue. Everything good is on pay per view, which which drives me crazy. You know, and I've said this on this podcast over and over again. Like, just try one event, one big event, using all of your uh, resources and put it on main Fox and see if you can do the kind of number that would warrant. You know, the kind of the, the maybe not now is not the right time to do it with advertising being what it is, but you know, right. put it on main network Fox at some point, see if you can do a massive number by promoting it on college football or WWE, you know, Friday Night SmackDown, do that kind of stuff. I would, you know, we're, we're definitely veering off course here, but that's the kind of thing that I would like to see, you know, Fox ultimately do. Yeah, I think that's the big issue of boxing, and it has been for 30 years at least with the proliferation of pay per view. What kind of rating would Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury do on ESPN or Fox? I mean, huge, huge, right? Maybe it does 10 million. I don't know. Maybe it shows the networks and the advertisers that boxing is a legit sport. It's a, you know, it's a sport like golf or tennis where you have four temple majors, so to speak, a year. But all the good fights, right? Charlo Drevianchenko, that would be a big rating too. But instead of celebrating that fight, now we have fans poo pooing it being on pay per view. Yeah. And maybe if you're a fighter, you know, to make up for some of the guaranteed purse off a of pay-per-view to kind of, you, you you know, get sponsors more involved. I mean, you know, if you're wearing Nike trunks, wouldn't Nike want to be on, you know, the 
the the shorts of Tyson Fury or the gloves or Deontay Wilder. I mean, you, there's there's ways to get creative with all this without going the traditional route where you're just basically just bleeding your your diehard fans uh, to to pay for for this type of fight. But it, it doesn't sound like we can talk this till we're blue in the face. Like it doesn't sound like anything's going to change anytime <laughs> soon. There's this dynamic is is going to continue to exist. You mentioned Spence versus Garcia. I, I'm fascinated by this because. I, look, I credit Errol Spence for wanting to jump into a big fight after coming off that horrific car crash, but I, I've often questioned the the wisdom of it. Like, you know, if you're Spence, you are dealing with, you know, a mouth injury that, that kept you from sparring for months and months at a time. Don't you want to come back against a light hitter and and get your, your proverbial feet wet back into boxing? But, I mean, are you convinced that Spence-Garcia fight still happens in the fall? I would be pretty surprised if when the Fox slate is announced, that's not that's not earmarked for November, some sometime in November. I mean, I, you know, things change all the time in boxing um, up to the last minute. But yeah, that's the ex- expectation. Errol Spence has been insistent behind the scenes and publicly that he wants a tough opponent. That fight with Danny Garcia was originally going to be January 25th at Staples Center in LA on Fox pay per view. That was that was a dumb deal. And then Spence had the you know the horrific car crash. And the pandemic hit, so I think it's a great fight, though. No, I, I think it's a great fight. I'm just curious, you know, how much of a financial hit are they going to have to take to make that fight happen? I mean, they'll get, you know, the pay-per-view revenue off of it, but Spence Garcia, I mean, I, I don't know what kind of gate it would do in California or Brooklyn or even Texas, but it's, I would guess, north of, you know, four or five million dollars at least, you know, for for something for sure, like for that. Sure. I mean, that's that's money they're leaving on the table. That's why it surprised me. Like I thought that maybe Spence would use this pandemic as kind of a way out. Not that he needs a way out, but as a way to say, you know what? Uh, we can't do a live crowd there. It's going to cost me a lot of money. Uh, I'm going to fight, you know, some version of Ivan Redcatch, you know, in my, in my comeback fight. And, and then I'll fight Danny Garcia in the first quarter of next year. That's that to me. I always wonder if that was going to be kind of the escape hatch for, for Spence Garcia, no crowd. So we can't do a fight of that magnitude. Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. I mean, we look at, a fight, Gervonta Davis and Leo Santa Cruz. Gervonta did crowds in three different events spanning the U.S. last year, certainly at Staples Center, where Leo Santa Cruz you know, resides uh, in Southern California. That would probably do easily over 10,000 at Staples Center. So, but I, credit to PBC there. You and I understand the economics. We understand why these fights have to go to pay-per-view. You guys are probably making insane money. But, it's yeah, it's just too bad that we have to have all these fights on pay-per-view, even though we understand it. I mean, you look at Lomachenko Lopez, too. That's another fight that if it happens, it's going to be on pay-per-view. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, it's unfortunate because th- those types of fights need to be shown to the broadest possible fan base to grow the sport. And and now is kind of the time to, to put on those types of fights when so many people are at home watching television looking for something interesting to watch. And then when you get into the fall, I mean, man, you're going to run into – you know, a lot of sports that are, are ongoing with NBA, NFL, maybe college football. I mean, you're just going to have a lot of competition on those Saturdays uh, for those uh, types of fights. All right, let's talk about the biggest name that still is without an opponent, and that's Canelo. And Mike, this feels like deja vu to me. It feels like last year all <laughs> over again when at that time last year, you know, Canelo was still trying to hold on to his IBF title by fighting somebody else. Golden Boy came back and you know, threw Demetrius Andrade's name out there. Canelo was eventually stripped of that title. Uh, it wasn't something that pleased him, certainly, when it came to his relationship uh, with Golden Boy. And now here we are in mid to almost late July, and we still don't have an opponent for a September 12th, 12th date for Canelo Alvarez. What do you know about what's going on behind the scenes with these negotiations? Yeah, Callum Smith right now is the clear front runner to fight Canelo Alvarez in the fall. He's the zone's first choice. He's Canelo's first choice. And he makes the most sense. He's the he's regarded as the best 168 pounder in the world. He was, you know, he was in the running for that fight back in February when they were talking about May 2nd. But, you know, he's he was offered five million dollars, I'm told, and he's asking for six million. So, you know, a million dollars doesn't sound that much apart, but maybe it is in this climate. I don't know. What I do know is what you said is it's never easy when it comes to securing these Canelo opponents. And now that September 12th date is in jeopardy. We're, we're less than 60 days out, obviously. Um, even though there's no tickets to sell to, no pay-per-views to sell, the zone still needs a big fight for its subscribers. And that's certainly the biggest fight they can do probably all year. They need time to properly promote it. So 
I question if that date's going to move now, but I do think when it's all said and done, it will be Callum Smith. Yeah, I mean, I think Callum Smith, while you know it's not the blockbuster type of fight maybe or the elite fight that Gennady Golovkin would represent, I mean, that's still a high-level fight. I mean, Callum Smith is no joke. I mean, depending what you thought, no matter what you thought about John Ryder in his last time out, I mean, Callum Smith is a big super middleweight that you can make a strong argument is the top guy at 168 pounds. For Canelo to take that type of fight would be a significant test run. I think he'd be the favorite in that fight because I think his body attack is relentless and I think he'd wear down a, a Callum Smith. But, uh, I mean, I, that's a that's a really good fight. I mean, and look, I, I don't agree with Oscar De La Hoya on, on, on much, but I do think there's something to the argument about these fighters pricing themselves out of Canelo fight. Like, just because Callum Smith can make five or six million dollars to fight Canelo doesn't mean he's worth that much money. This was kind of my argument, Mike, when I, I was thinking about Derevchenko and and like what he whatever he was offered three four million dollars whatever it was he was offered for that Canelo fight. I mean, I, I think more fighters need to bet on themselves because if Callum Smith beats Canelo Alvarez, he probably fights Canelo in the UK in front of like eighty thousand people at Wembley and makes like $15 million the next time around. I think these fighters, to a degree, have to start taking more risks when it comes to fighting at Canelo, betting on themselves more when it comes to Canelo, and, and taking you know the most money they'd probably ever make, but not premium money just because they're the name that's on the, the marquee next to Canelo. I mean, Callum Smith, for example, should certainly get as much money as he can get off the table, but not, yeah, he shouldn't kill the fight over it like you're, you know, if you can get five million, which he's already offered, great. Get the five million, or you know, something around there. Um, it's not worth killing the fight over getting what you deserve. I don't think, because like you said, even if you put up a good performance, you're still going to get another bigger fight. Where whether it's against someone like a Daniel Jacobs or Billy Joe Saunders, as long as he's not, it's not a brutal knockout and a one-sided fight like Canelo had with his brother Liam. But we saw this happen with Floyd Mayweather, right? Anytime Floyd Mayweather fought anyone, they got crazy money. Victor Ortiz. Um, anyone. So I, Oscar should be used to it himself. And unfortunately, there was a bad precedent set probably with Daniel Jacobs and Kovalev getting these um, eight-figure packages. And now the zone has to reset the market, so to speak, with, oh, along with Golden Boy. Though I had heard, I mean, it's funny you mentioned Mayweather-Ortiz. I, I had heard Ortiz at the time had a terrible deal for that Mayweather fight. Like, I don't know what the exact numbers were, but I had heard Ortiz took a, I mean, a couple million bucks to fight Floyd May. Maybe there was an upside to it on the pay-per-views. I don't know, but the, the guarantee was low, low, low for Victor Ortiz. But, but you're right. In general, I mean, you know, guys see the guarantee that Canelo gets or Floyd Mayweather gets, and they insist on it. I just think if Callum Smith really was, if Callum Smith really does have a hard offer for $5 million, he can't let that get away. Like, he's not going to make that his next fight. He might not make that in his next three fights combined when you consider what's going on with this pandemic. If that kind of offer's on the table, take the fight, go to the U.S., uh, and like you said, even if you lose with a good showing, you're going to be able to bounce back, take, another, take a comeback fight the next time out, and then you're back in world championship contention, maybe even stepping across the aisle to fight a Caleb Plant or David Benavides or somebody in 2021. Yeah, I mean, look, it's hard to say what hard offers are in boxing. I mean, you know how negotiations go. They're throwing numbers around. Maybe Golden Boy gets impatient and says, all right, enough of this. We're going to go to somebody else. We saw so many names thrown around. I mean, some of the names were offensive. Jason Quigley, <laughs> um, John Ryder to a lesser extent, since he did have the nice performance against Callum. But Toriano Johnson, like, stop. Like, no, no one's watching those fights. I don't think the zone wants those fights. And... I guess maybe it's a leverage play. I don't know. But you're right. Callum has to just take this fight. No matter, he can't let it slip away. Yeah, no, he, he can't. Um, and I'm with you. It is borderline offensive to suggest that like you can put Canelo and Jason Quigley in a fight or Canelo and Turiano Johnson in a fight. No disrespect to those guys. They're they're solid fighters. And Turiano certainly, yeah. certainly had his issues with opponents along the way. But, I mean, that's not a Canelo fight. Like, it's just not. And you can't expect, you know, people... People don't just tune in. I have this argument with Sergio Moore all the time. Like Sergio thinks people are just tuning in to see Canelo fight anybody. I don't believe that. I don't believe that's don't the case. That. I don't think they're like Canelo's a, a magnetic fighter, but they're not tuning in by the hundreds of thousands to see him fight, you know, Jason Quigley, who he'd knock out in three rounds, or Turiano Johnson, who might make it like seven. Like that, I don't know. That to me, that's 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 nonsense. I'm totally with you here. Look, there are 
some degenerate boxing fans like us that'll watch any fight. But the majority of people want to see big matchups where there's some hype around it. It bubbles up. They don't know who Jason Quigley is, but Callum Smith, even if they don't know who he is right now, they would they would find out quickly. He's, you know, it's a big fight. It would have hype around it. They would see some of his big knockouts, and it would be great for the global service over in the UK. Yeah, you can get Eddie Hearn involved in that promotion, and you can have Eddie. Yeah, I mean Eddie had Eddie had some people believing Rocky Fielding at half a chance by the time that promotion was over. <laughs> so it's uh, it's always good to get another mouthpiece behind it. Um, one thing I want to ask you about: you spoke to Ryan Garcia recently about his relationship with Golden Boy. I mean, Oscar De La Hoya was on this pod last week and he downplayed any issues, kind of called it family. I mean, do you look at that relationship as being salvageable? I mean, I've talked to Ryan a bunch of times. I read your piece on it. I, I get the sense, and correct me if you think I'm wrong, but I get the sense that Ryan Garcia really wants the relationship to work. Like, Ryan Garcia still, you know, kind of looks up to Oscar in a way, wants Oscar to act like the big brother or the, the the promoter that he thought he was signing with at the time. What's your takeaway on the future of that relationship? Ryan's was very upset. Uh, you know, that was a few weeks ago now. And if he gets the Luke Campbell fight, which I'm doubt, I'm kind of doubtful that it's actually going to happen, but we'll see. Maybe everything can go away. You know, we saw Ryan really mad at Oscar last year, only to show up hugging at the press conference in LA. Um, you're right. I think it comes down to more than money. I think this is about respect for Ryan. He's, he's adamant that he tried calling, texting, DMing Oscar multiple times, and Oscar would not call him back or answer. The next thing he saw was a tweet, a couple of tweets, where Oscar was pretty much propping up Virgil Ortiz at his expense. Oh, here, this is our real future of boxing. And it was obvious like, that it's a slight. So is it salvageable? I think Golden Boy and guys like Oscar just have to be truthful and just be real. And who should know better than Oscar, a Hall of Fame fighter? No, he. Yeah, I, yeah. I think he can fix it. Yeah, he, he can fix it. Um, although one of the one of the questions I have is like, I mean, how, like who who's in the right in this situation? Like it, it it's true that you know two fights ago Ryan signed a deal that his attorney at the time called the richest contract for a prospect. I don't know what it was, but he called it that. Um, yeah. And now two fights later, in the middle of a pandemic, uh, there's a dispute over money. I mean, how do you uh, how do you adjudicate kind of who's in the right, who's in the wrong in this situation? I mean, that's that's kind of tough to say. I, I would say in Ryan's defense, he's one of the few needle movers in the sport. I, I hear people say all the time, oh, it's just social media following. I do believe it translates. You, you and I were there in Anaheim in Valentine's Day when Ryan brought almost 10,000 fans on a Friday night. He, he translates. So, yes, his thing is, yes, there are, big, there are some big bonuses in that deal, but there's minimums, and fighters all have minimums in their contracts, and they negotiate the fights, you know, pretty much a la carte. So Ryan wants more money. He doesn't, he's not asking for crazy money. And I, I think more than the money, though, it's the respect factor. Oscar not answering. Oscar taking shots on Twitter. Oscar just not communicating. So it's the same look. It doesn't help that, Eddie Reynoso and Oscar have a bad relationship. And Eddie and then Oscar also has a really bad relationship with Canelo, who trains with Ryan. Hmm. It's all one big mess. Yeah, I mean, Ryan, I, I hope he gets the the Luke Campbell fight. If he gets it, it's because Eddie Hearn kind of puts the money on the table to make it happen. Like that's that's right. probably the only way a fight like that uh, ultimately comes off. But that could be the kind of fight that could springboard. That's a tough fight if he gets that one. Luke Campbell's no joke. I mean, he's not elite, I don't think, but he's you know, fought well against top-level opponents. That is a a, a big step up uh, for Ryan Garcia. And I'm with you. I just think he does want the respect uh, from Oscar. I don't. I think the one of the bigger mistakes they made was tweeting about it and you know taking it into a public forum. Like you can say it's a family squabble all you want, but if you're you know kind of bad mouthing your guy on social media, that just that just doesn't fly. Um, you know, with these guys. And I think look, ten thousand people. I mean, you're you live in Southern California. Nobody's driving to Anaheim on a Friday night. Like they're just not. They're not. Like it's not like ten thousand people is no joke uh, at an event like that. Ryan Garcia is proving himself as a ticket seller and, and someone that's going to be a huge draw in this business for years to come, as long as his talent, you know, uh, backs uh, all that up. Let me finish with this, uh, Mike. The uh, on Friday, Virgil Ortiz comes back, gets back into the ring, and he doesn't have the charisma of a Ryan Garcia, but the talent is kind of undeniable. Now I'm not, you know, forget Samuel Vargas. I'm not really a big believer. This fight is going to go longer than like five rounds. I just think Vargas 
every time Vargas steps in with a top level opponent, either gets knocked out or blown out. Like, you know, whether it's you know, Errol Spence or Danny Garcia. I mean, Amir Khani knocked down that first round, but then he lost like every round after. Um, you know, Luis Colazo we fought, but that was the back end of Colazo's career. Um, what do you think of, of Ortiz as, as a prospect? I mean, he was everybody's prospect of the year in 2019, but how bright a future does Virgil Ortiz have? I think he's another guy similar to what you mentioned about Charlo and Andre. You know, I mean, obviously they're far more... Um, accomplished. We just don't, we don't know yet with Virgil Ortiz. He definitely has power. He definitely is a very confident fighter, great offensive skill set. I don't know what his chin is like. I don't know. I don't see the defense yet. So I'd like to see him kind of a slippery guy or a big puncher. Vargas isn't really going to show us much, but he's really promising. I mean, for all the problems Golden Boy has, maybe securing opponents or squabbles with their fighters, they have a very talented stable. Yeah, I mean, how, I mean, but who who do you? Yeah, yeah I mean, how, like, that's the imagine? thing. That's the thing. Like you've like Golden Boy for all the issues they've had of the years. I mean, they have Ryan Garcia and Virgil Ortiz in their stable, and those are, you know, Garcia for his talent and his drawing power, and Ortiz, you know, fighting at a welterweight at a weight class where you can, you know, that that is a popular weight class. I mean, that there's there's a lot of room for growth with Virgil Ortiz. I mean, yeah, can we maybe get Virgil Ortiz versus Terrence Crawford next year? I mean, I know these things don't happen a lot in boxing where these guys are rushed, so to speak. But I want to see more of it. We see it in the UFC all the time. Like, if we did Virgil Ortiz versus Crawford in next fall, for example, and maybe Crawford wins, does that really, you know, ruin Virgil Ortiz? I don't think so. We saw Floyd Mayweather play with Canelo. Yeah. Look at Canelo now. I mean, I, you, you wish that more fighters kind of understood that, that a loss is not debilitating. I mean, you get paid good money for these fights and if you lose you move on it does seem like and you talk to him it does seem like ryan garcia has that attitude like ryan garcia is a take on all comers you know type of fighter he's not interested at all in protecting that zero so i hope that translates as we get into 2021 and we see these big fights sooner rather than later whether it's you know ryan in with devin haney or tank davis involved uh in that mix um i'm still waiting for tank davis to kind of show me that he's the talent that that backs up uh, the popularity. I mean, he's his most his best win was probably what Pedraza in his career. That was yeah, that was an, sure. that was an impressive win. Uh, but like it's being billed his December fight as being for two titles. Neither one of those titles is real. Like they're not. Like you know, Leo Santa Cruz, you know, fought for the super title, but that really wasn't like he you know jumped can <laughs> he jumped Cancio at the time you know for that title. Same thing with Gervonta Davis. Nobody believes Gervonta Davis the. 135 pound champion of anything, you know, those two fighters are who are hold those belts are going to fight in, um, in, in October. Uh, I'm curious like to see what Gervonta looks like when he steps into a, a major fight. It d- does he have the talent? He's got the power, no question, but at 135, does he have the talent to that, that reinforces that popularity? I want to see that too. And also this fight's at 130 pounds. Can he make 130? Yeah, I think I that's the big it. question here. I, I don't, I, and what happens if he doesn't? I think what happens if he doesn't, that Leo moves up for the money and, and takes the money at like 133 and a half. And they'll say, well, it's for the 135 title as well. So they can move up, <laughs> move up uh, a weight class here. The question I would have, and I, I talked to Teofimo Lopez about this uh, earlier today. Like, you know, Teofimo made it clear that for a big fight, if he, if he beats Lomachenko, huge if, but if he beats Lomachenko, uh, he'd be down for staying at 135 for a major fight against Tank Davis. Lomachenko has made it clear he'll fight Tank Davis at 130 or 135. Like, if that fight's on the table for Tank Davis in the first half of 2021, like, does he take it? Or, or do we still hear the same crap about, like, network problems and I'm not on your timetable, all that crap that we hear uh, when it comes to, uh, to to Tank at this point? Yeah, I mean, like you said, Gervonta... He has incredible power. Even though he doesn't talk much, he has this great following. He does move the needle. There's something about him. I don't, I don't know if I'd call it charisma or what, but he has it. And Leo Santa Cruz, crazily, is you know by far his toughest opponent on paper. I can't see Santa Cruz at this shop. I think he's, I don't know if he's shop-worn, but he's certainly not in his prime at this point after all the wars with Mares and other guys, Frampton. You know, as long as Gervonta takes care of him in dominant fashion, I would hope we're going to see him against the likes of Lomachenko or Teofimo. I want to see what he has. And that's the, it's really saddening that we have this, this quandary with all these fighters. Just what do they have? We should know by now. Yeah, they're all right around the same age, you know, within a couple of years of each other. Like they should be getting in the ring in these round robin, you know, type of tournaments. Uh, I think, I don't know about you, but I think 
Gervonta probably walks through Santa Cruz. I mean, I, I think shop-worn is the right phrase or the right word when it comes to to Leo. You and I were both at that last fight in Las Vegas that he was at, and, I mean, it wasn't all that impressive. Oh. And he has been in a lot of wars over the years, and fighters like that have a finite shelf life. When you couple that with him jumping up to a weight class he's new at and probably isn't physically uh, built for, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I would... If I'm picking anything in that fight, it's Davis mid round by like devastating knockout. I think that's that's that that has that kind of potential. Yeah, I think I'd go with the same pick as that. The only thing I could see giving Gervonta problems perhaps is just Leo Santa Cruz. You know, he, he throws a thousand punches a yeah. fight usually, and Gervonta is a guy that sometimes struggles with activity. So maybe he could seal three rounds that way. We haven't really seen Leo Santa Cruz hurt. Has he been knocked down? I'm not sure, but. Yeah, I, I don't know. He's one of those guys, you know, people always go crazy about his fights. I, I'm not the biggest fan of his, you know, fights with Mares. There's not a lot of clean punching. You just see two guys, you know, furiously trading, and no one's sitting on their shots. It's just like a lot of arm punches. <laughs> he could fight. I think I said this to Abner Mares himself. Like, like he could fight Abner Mares like five more times. They'd be the same exact thing. Like, they'd just be like exactly. throwing bombs at each other. And Abner wouldn't win. Like, I don't think Abner can like ever beat Leo Santa Cruz. I just don't think he throws enough. Like, he throws a lot of punches, but Leo just throws just enough more to give him the edge in those situations. Yeah, and I, I, I think that that Gervonta's last performance was kind of underwhelming against Gamboa is what really gave people more, a little bit more interest in this fight with just Santa Cruz. Maybe he does have a shot. But I'm, I'm with you. It's, he's probably too small. Gervonta's too strong. And, you know, it just it's, it sucks that we're always talking about, oh, the next fight. It's fun, fun when we have this fight. Yeah, I think we need to see those uh, soon. And 2021 is probably the, the best time to, the only time we're going to get a chance to ultimately uh, get to do it. Uh, Mike, appreciate your time, man. Follow Mike on Twitter, at Mike Coppinger. Listen to Mike and uh, our friend Lance Pugmire on the Pug and Cop Boxing Show as well. Good stuff, Mike. Always great to catch up with you, man. All right, thanks, Chris. I'm glad you're out of quarantine. Have fun over in Orlando. Doing what I can. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is... And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, Whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. All right, joining me now on the show, he's the president of Showtime Sports, a self-styled international raconteur, whatever the fuck that means. He is Stephen Espinosa uh, joining so me on the show. We, I, I know this is going to be hard, but the most overused word of 2020 is bubble. So let, yes. let, let's see if we can get through, and I know you're you're in one, you know, we're establishing one. Let's see 
how how few times we can mention the word bubble as we get through this. I've been the NBA prefers if you call it a campus, so maybe we'll go with campus, uh, campus for campus. for that. Even though nobody else will call it that, it's like one of those like nicknames the league's trying to ram home, right? But it it just isn't going to fly because right. bubble is just the, the term everybody's adopted there. Bench is never going to happen, right? <laughs> no, it's not. Um, so you announced your schedule, a, a strong slate of fights that'll take you all the way through the end of the year this week. And let's just start there. Um, just just tell me what you're most excited about with all this. I mean, I know uh, that, you know, every. I think every boxing programmer's dream is to announce kind of a season or a schedule, something like that. You want to give your fan base something to look forward to. What was the... Take me through the last like couple of weeks and months as you were kind of putting this together. Uh to be honest, yeah, you, you're right. I, I think it, it does a lot for the sport. Um, it does a lot for the fans. Um, it helps our marketing and our marketing partners. Um, but every time I do it, immediately after I do it, I, you know, my initial reaction is, um, let's never do that again. Um, because <laughs> it's, I mean, the hardest thing um, is, is keeping everybody quiet. Because, of course, fighter gets a date and an opponent. Uh, you know, they want to announce it. You, you know, and it's tough for everyone to keep secrets, especially when their fans are hitting them up. When are you fighting? When are you fighting? So keep your secrets are difficult. Um, but you know, really, I, I think it's uh, I think it's worth it. Um, you get a sense of you know how the big picture you know, lines up. Like I, I think without doing an extended schedule, we wouldn't see as clearly. You know things like maybe the um, the the emergence of you know uh, bantamweight and, and junior featherweight. You know, there's all of a sudden there's a, a lot of talent there. You know, with with young guys and established guys, and we're going to have a lot of them. Bantamweight and junior bantamweight, are, you know, didn't exist in our network a couple years ago. Now there's some really intriguing fights and some young guys like uh, you know like a, a Stephen Fulton who's in their first show. So. I think, um, you know, it's a pain, it's difficult, it's, uh, it'll give me ulcers. Um, and it's sort of like, I guess the closest thing is, it is a little bit like, a, like seating a wedding. It's sort of like, well, if I put this guy here, like, you know, he's not going to, that doesn't make sense on this card, let's move it there. So it's a lot of, uh, a lot of index cards and, and whiteboards. As you were, were putting this together and, you know, dealing with the finances of it, how, how much did the pandemic impact that? I mean, Showtime's business, your budget. I mean, how impactful was that on your ability to to make fights and, and how you kind of line things up, whether it was on pay-per-view or on Showtime Boxing? Look, that's that's a reality for, uh, for everyone. Um, and I think the, the most... Um, there, there are two direct impacts that it has. Number one is no one is, is really sure um, until you get really close to the event exactly how much more expensive this is going to be. Um, you know, it's, it's a whole range of things. You need to bring the crew in earlier so they can test in advance. Um, so you now instead of paying for crew for two days, you're spending maybe four or five days. Um, you know, there's extra personnel, extra security. There's the tests themselves. So... You know, no one's really sure until you get the bill. I think, you know, we're a week out and I think I have a good sense of what it's going to cost. And and I would say it's probably, you know, anywhere from, I'd say about 20 percent, 20 to 25 percent more expensive. Um, so, you know, you know, shows don't cost a million, but if, if it used to cost a million, it's now costing a million, a quarter million, three. Um, and the second is. Uh, you know, I think uncom- you know companies in periods of uncertainty pull back on spending. You know, we don't know how the economy is going to affect people's income. Let's not spend as much. Um, fortunately, boxing and Showtime was able to uh, avoid that. I mean, you look at this schedule, and it is, um, you know, it, it's a full year schedule. We did not cut any events. Um, I think by virtue of the calendar, maybe there's, you know couple less showbox events, but that's really just a function of, you know, being able to do all the protocols and everything like that. So we're, we're fortunate. There are certainly budget cuts elsewhere and, and financial pressures, um, but programming, 
or sports was one area that that escaped unscathed. Yeah, and I, I did wonder, you know, how a network like a subscription network like Showtime would be affected. You're not ad, you know, driven. See, that's you don't a need big, the a big thing, absolutely. Um, and you know, we saw some, you know, some really good activity, you know, business wise, immediately when things shut down, like. You know, like all streaming services, like all networks, um, you know, depending on the network, some of that has faded, you know, for us, thankfully, it's still going strong. We've got a, a really strong run of programming so far. Um, we need to get back in production and get things uh, original series back on the air. Uh, but it's a, a big plus that we're going to have live boxing coming, uh, coming back starting August. So when Showtime was, when you were talking about coming back, the original landing spot was that was being publicly discussed was California soundstage, uh, you know, some kind of, of room that you'd fight right. in. How did you make the transition from from that potential uh, area to where you landed, which is having at least ten- tentatively scheduled to have all your fights at Mohegan Sun uh, this year? Yeah, I really would have liked to explore the the soundstage, and we were we were pretty far down the road on that. Um, and really where the complications were, were union issues. Um, you know, they, there are union, um, you know, when you go onto a set, you know, general, uh, a set on a, on a lot, you know, generally it's a union set. Um, and it doesn't always, um, compare apples to or apples to apples in terms of those unions and what we do on live sports production. Um, you know, and in the grander scheme of things, we had some things that needed to be ironed out. Um, but I'm not sure that we would have gotten a whole lot of attention. I mean, there's the, the unions and the guilds are engaged in, you know, marathon talks right now just to get series production on the air. We wouldn't have been a priority. Hey, can you negotiate a special exception so we can do boxing on the CBS lot? You, you know, it, it seemed like a lot more trouble than it was going to be worse and really bad timing to do that. So we looked elsewhere. Um, we looked at Vegas. Vegas was, you know, really busy with, you know, UFC and top rank. And there were some concerns with the commission of whether they could have enough personnel because we really wanted to partner with Bellator. That was, that was key for us. Um, I mean, it makes sense, you know, sort of synergistically, but there are some real cost benefits. Um, so we knew we wanted nine or 10 events over 12 weeks um, and we, which means we have to be there exclusively. So we had to go somewhere where the venue was going to say here, you know, here you can move in this date and stay continuously. Um, so we're only loading in once we're only loading out once we came up with a, a production lighting you know, structure that is basically very similar for MMA and boxing. So all we have to do week to week is switch the ring for the cage. Um, mm-hmm. so once you went that, and once we, we figured out, we wanted to go to a one-stop shop, you know, there's a limited number of, of places, you know, there's, there's Vegas. And once you eliminate that, there's, there's a handful of others. Are you, I mean, when, when it comes to crowds in the venue, are you just, are, are you going into this thinking there aren't going to be crowds all the way through the year? Or are you go if, if Connecticut loosens up and Mohegan Sun loosens up, you're going to say, all right, we, as, as much as they'll allow, we'll put in there we're, we're going to keep an eye and, and 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 sort of be flexible if if connecticut opens up if new york state opens up or, or anywhere else uh, because you know everyone that's on the schedule has committed that they'll fight without fans um everyone would also prefer to fight in front of fans or the vast majority of them but if that's not possible they'll go forward um but you know initially we know we're at uh, mohegan if things take a turn for the better and we can be in front of crowds then you know we're all for it. Do they have any more flexibility because they are a Native American reservation? Are there anything? Are there things they can do without you know state of Connecticut approval? Um, there are some ways in which I wish that were true. Um, you know, for <laughs> for example, you know, one of the curveballs that got thrown to us is relatively late in this process. Um, the tri-state area, New York, New Jersey. Connecticut imposed, you know, state restrictions on travelers coming from other states. It means you've got to quarantine for 14 days if you're coming from one of the hotspot states. Well, right now, Connecticut is defined 22 states as hotspot states, including California, Texas, Florida. So all of a sudden, you know, we had a, 
in an extra requirement gone, which says you can't come into the state unless you're going to stay in your room for 14 days. Um, thankfully, there there was an exemption that they later put into uh, into effect. But one of the things we said initially is, well, you know, we're technically we're not doing this event in Connecticut. It's on sovereign land. Sort of like, well, yeah, if you if you can helicopter straight in to the Mohegan Sun, then maybe you can evade Connecticut executive orders. But you're going to land at an airport or drive through Connecticut. You know, you've got to comply. And, and so we, we did. Just see you driving the Showtime bus down like a back road to avoid, <laughs> right. you know, get, avoid Connecticut night. state troopers. One of the unique things you're you're doing on September 26th is having uh, two major fights on one pay-per-view, both Charlo brothers, uh, Jermel, the 154-pound champion, Jamal. Uh, he's got a title at 160, both fighting on different cards on mm-hmm. the same show. As you pointed out earlier on your uh, media call that, look, it's going to be separate undercards for each show, um, separate, you know, basically separate everything mm-hmm. for each show. I mean, how did you come to that decision? Why does that make sense uh, to do as a pay-per-view? Well, our original idea, which which wasn't really all that original since we uh, we took it from WWE, was to do a two-night pay-per-view, as WWE had done for, I, I believe, WrestleMania. So Friday night, one Charlo title fight. Saturday night, one Charlo title fight with undercards and all one price. We ran into the same problem that WWE did, which is why they went digital only on the pay-per-view, is that for cable and satellite operators, there's a there's a technical problem with leaving a, a pay-per-view window open for 48 hours instead of just 24. So, you know, with that taken away, we said, well, you know, the next best thing is let's just turn it into like a, a double header. Um, it's non-traditional, but I think it was important for us to really over-deliver on the value right now. I think A, to get people excited about boxing again and be, you know, as an acknowledgement that um, there are a lot of people who are, uh, you know, who are having difficulties financially. Um, and, you know, boxing pay-per-views don't come real high on the list of must-haves, you know, if you're unemployed and otherwise. So the reality for those who are able to buy it, we want to make sure we're delivering extra value here. Um, and, and I think between the two title fights, two other world title fights, um, you know, it's it's a really, really solid card. How big a risk do you think you're taking with these pay-per-views? Because the, the pay-per-views are solid fights. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Charlo Derevchenko could be great. Derevchenko's never in a bad fight. At least I haven't seen him in one any times recently. Uh, Charlo Rosario is a significant fight at the very least, and Rosario is a big puncher. Then Tank Davis is a popular guy, and Santa Cruz is a name. But, you know, during a pandemic, um, you know, where, where, as you pointed out a couple of times before, finances are an issue out there. I mean, what kind of thought went into, went into all that? And you're having guys headline pay-per-views that frankly haven't headlined pay-per-views before. Yeah. There, there are a lot of risks. Um, you know, one of the risks is, you know, we're going to have a, a fall sports calendar like we haven't seen before. Um, and you know, that's going to, you know, that's going to make a, a difference. You're going to, you're going to have, you know, everything, you know, unless you know, things happen, um, unexpectedly in, in terms of other sports, but we're going to have so much in the fall. That's going to be a problem. The, you know, the overall state of the economy, people's willingness to have discretionary spending. It, it's definitely a risk. Um, and everyone's taking a risk, the, the fighters, the promoters, the network, um, and hoping that it'll work. Uh, you know, I think there are some people, you know, probably with maybe a little bit more discretionary income, they're not, eating out as much they're not going to the movies as much not traveling as much um, but there's a lot of people who are having financial difficulties so this is one where everyone looked at it and said well we're all going to have to take a little bit of risk here to make this happen it, these are the right fights that happen they're good for the sport they're good for the charlo's careers so you know we'll take the risk we're not going to you know back off and you know We'll, we'll we'll hope for the best, and I think based on the initial reaction, I think there's a lot of enthusiasm for. The biggest challenge you probably face is making sure the schedule comes off as planned. I mean, 
you know, top rank put their schedule together and through no fault of their own. I mean, they had good protocols in Nevada. They worked with the commission in Nevada. I mean, it's, I've read the protocols. They're pretty solid Mm -hmm. and they still, it seemed like every week we're losing a fight, sometimes a headlining fight, sometimes the same fighter twice in, uh, in these situations. I mean, did you learn anything from, from that and, are there any changes that Showtime and the promoters involved will make to try to ensure that that doesn't happen to your shows? Yeah. Um, look, we'll, there, there are going to be positive tests. It's almost impossible um, to get through 10 weeks without somebody testing positive. And, and Bellator has already had one. Um, one of the things that we looked at and learned from, I, I hope, is uh, increasing the amount of pre-fight testing for the fighters. Um, because you know the, the hope is that you don't catch it a couple of days before the fight, but maybe a week, two weeks, you know. Something. So, if you're talking about guys on the August first card, you know, Angelo Leo and, and Stephen Fulton, um, you know, as, as well as uh, not the second fight because that one was replaced, but in terms of the guys who have been on the card for for eight weeks, each of those four guys have been tested at least five times already. Um, at the outset of the camp and then weekly as they get later into camp. It doesn't make you perfect, um, but our hope is that we're catching them earlier in the process so we don't get surprises fight week. Um, The second thing is we are uh, either keeping people on hold, you know, paying them to train, or actually the promoter is paying them to train and be ready, um, or having, you know, a very small number of off TV fights to provide a, uh, you know, a, a good level opponent. So you don't lose a main event. Um, mm. So that's, um, you know, that's part of it. And the other, you know, I, I feel really bad for Jamal Herring, you know, and, you know, it was really puzzling what happened to him. Um, you know, I, I think our protocols, we, we wouldn't have turned him around so quickly. Um, you know, you, you really, there's a lot of advice coming from the NBA, as you know, that you really shouldn't be exercising with an active infection. Um, so if you, you take that and, and you want to play as safe as possible, it, it's going to be a significant period of time before you put that, that guy or, or, or woman back on the schedule after a positive test. Yeah, I think the NBA has become kind of a resource for a lot of sports. Yeah. Um, over the last couple of months, I know a lot of people have called the league office mm-hmm. uh, about those things. Uh, the last thing I want to ask you is, you know, as you're putting the schedule together, how did you balance the the Fox relationship with PBC? I mean, you know, obviously you heard last year when Bill Wanger came on the show and said, you know, basically we get whatever fights that we want. Um, you know, how, how did that work? I mean, was there any anything as has the relationship with Al evolved? You know, over the last you know few months, so that you kind of have an idea of who you who's going to be a Showtime fighter and and what kind of fights you're going to get. Um, it, it's an ongoing conversation because look, he's he's got to uh, keep both networks happy. Um, I look at, at this schedule and, and I think we're we're very happy. I, look, there's some big fights that are not on our schedule, and you know, there's um, there's certainly desirable fights that are going to end up on Fox or Fox pay per view. Um, but you know, there's there's a pretty candid conversation. It's like you know. Uh, you know, I've, I've talked to Fox about that fight, that fight's over there. Um, you know, sometimes I'll ask about guys and they'll say, well, you know, I, I, you know, sort of had him, you know, penciled in for November on Fox. So there's a, there's a pretty candid conversation uh, about all of that. I mean, of course, you know, we want all the good fights. Fox wants all the good fights. Uh, you can't win them all, but I think what, what I'm proud of with this schedule um, I think all of us are proud of is the fact that there's, there's real depth here, you know, and mm-hmm. it isn't just a star uh, in a showcase fight that there are 50, 50 fights. I mean, those are, you know, for the Charlos in particular, those are, those are two fights which could both easily go the other way. Um, but if we look you know further down the card, we have young guys taking step up fights Um we have guys that we've been wanting to see a guy like Xavier Martinez, who's one of Floyd's guys um, or, or, or Rowley or Rolando Romero, who's another sort of fan favorite. Um, Stephen Fulton, you know, Chris Colbert, seeing these guys, not again, not in showcase fights, but in step up fights in eliminators. Um, 
So I, I think it, the schedule is really the product of a lot of, a lot of thought, a lot of work, um, because we didn't want to make them top heavy, you know, and, and, and the, that goes for the pay-per-views as well. Was part of that candid conversation like, look, we don't want to be a feeder system to to Fox. I mean, we don't want to be the network that puts Danny Garcia on in January right. and loses out on Danny Garcia versus Errol Spence in the fall. Yeah. Um, you know, that's part of it, consistency and programming and, and sort of feeling like you're 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 working on something. Um, you know, look, without getting too much into it, you know, what uh, what Bill has explained is certainly not our understanding of the relationship. Um and, you know, I, I think as time has gone on, you, you see that's, you know, it's not an accurate view of, of reality. We're, we've got plenty of good fights. You know, Fox is going to get their share of good fights. Um, but there's enough to go around, uh, you know, as, as we can see. Is there's, you know, a, a really, I would consider this a very loaded schedule. And there's still plenty left over for Fox. Well, Stephen, good to see that, uh you're not dead. Boxing's mm-hmm. not dead. I had I had read that Showtime was out. I mm-hmm. you know that was the the headline on boxing scene. I didn't I didn't know that. It's good to see that you're still alive. You're you're that, right, that you're not yeah. that like like Bob Arum said. You're not on your way out, just like HBO. No, some, somehow out. we figured out uh, a way to uh, you know to to <laughs> compete to to pay for it. Um, you know rumors uh, rumors of our demise. You know as the saying goes. <laughs> Uh, greatly exaggerated and who's uh <laughs> if you can say who uh give me the sleeper pick for the uh for the nba finals portland trailblazers really yes i'm four games starting out, to get bullish four games out of eight and you're i know for the finals okay. well one of the last times we had a situation like this and you're in new yorker now the 99 knicks you know no. eight seed during a lockout season made it to the finals well um I'm, I'll be rooting for them, um, you know, among other things, I'm sure you know, because I'm sure he talks to you about it, you know, Damon Lillard's probably the biggest NBA fan in 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 the whole league. Uh, the biggest boxing fan, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, yeah, that's yeah, okay. yeah. Yes, yeah. biggest boxing fan in the NBA, um, you know, without question. He's, uh, he's, he's a real <laughs> big fan, so I hope you're right. Yeah, I think that, well, I, I would say this, it's not going to be chalk. It won't right. be Lakers versus Bucks. Something weird is uh, going to happen here. Hopefully, to transition, nothing weird happens with your shows. Okay. August 1st, Showtime Boxing back, uh, full schedule all through the fall. Steve, congratulations, and uh, good luck with the man. Okay. Looking forward to um, hopefully still- being ringside for some of it. Yeah, that's right. Stay away from Dwight Howard in the meantime. Right. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> all right. All right, that's it for this week's episode. My thanks to my guests. As always, subscribe to the podcast over at Apple Podcasts. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.